the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. American prosperity is the bedrock of freedom and security all over the world. An obligation to the heritage of liberty and dignity handed down to us by our forefathers. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, um, it is, um, well, it's the season, right? It's the season. We're already into late January, uh, getting close to February, and uh, we're into the season. Doesn't look like there'll be a Republic, excuse me, Democrat primary at all, but the season now is primary season. And um, New Hampshire happening this week. Last week, the caucuses in Iowa uh, coming fast, South Carolina, and then Super Tuesday in about five or six weeks. Well, it looks like it's almost over, though. Um, you know, over the weekend, Ron DeSantis uh, dropped out of the race and endorsed Donald Trump. And what I want to say right now is about um, Ron DeSantis and more importantly, about people who run for office. I've got a book that I'm reading about how to run for office, uh, um, and it's uh, written by a longtime political consultant character, someone I didn't know, but we'll have him on the show in the next few weeks, I hope, uh, as I finish up his book. But, you know, there's been some really interesting books written about how to run for office and whatever. But I just want to pause and I want to say that at the at the high levels, especially, but even at whatever level. It takes a lot of courage to run for office because most people don't win and you have to be willing to lose. And at the, in the current environment we're in, you have to be willing to, you know, take a, 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 a verbal beating too. And so I remember years ago, over the years, I've, I've run for office. I've run for office twice um, in big races, 2010 and 2012. I also ran for chairman of the Republican Party in 2013 and won that race, or I guess it was late 2012. So technically three races. Um, but um, uh, it, it takes I've, I've thought a lot about what it takes to do it. And I tell people when they call me and they say, I'm thinking of running for office, I say, I have three questions for you. And they're in order. The first one is, can you afford to run? And I don't, I, I do mean, can you afford to because of your job? Will your job allow it? Will your employment allow it? If you're, you know, married and your spouse is going to carry the weight or whatever, can you afford to run the campaign? Can you afford to do it? It takes a lot. But I also mean, can you afford the hassle and the scrutiny and the intensity? Because if you run for a federal office, you have to disclose all of your campaign, uh, all of your financial liabilities as well as assets. If you run for most state and local races, you have to do something similar. In other words, you have to make clear who you are, and then you have to make clear who you are. If you're running for something that's pretty contested, people are going to ask you about it, and they're not always going to be the nicest people. So can you afford to run? Can you 
Can your family, can you afford the finances? Can you afford the scrutiny? Can you afford the, afford the intensity? Can you afford the psychic uh, uh, weight of losing or maybe not winning? Whatever. Can you afford to run? Then can you afford to win? If you win and you live in a place like St. Louis, where I lived, you'd have to commute to Congress in Washington or you'd have to commute to Jefferson City. So if you're running for a state level office, state house, state Senate or Congress, now if you're running for county council, OK, it's around the corner. But it, but you still have to. Can you afford to win? Sometimes a job like that will take you out of your uh, uh, employment status. You can't have a secondary employment if you're in Congress. You can't. Um, many times you can, if you're like a state rep, you can, you can keep your other job. If, if your employer will allow it, can you afford to win? Can you afford to take whatever the salary is if you're in that position and function? And then the final question is, can you win? Because if you can't win, you know, if there's no way to win, if you're a Republican running in a Democrat district, you got to have a good reason to do it. If you're not, if you don't see a path to run, to win. So those are the three questions. But here's the thing. After you answer those three questions, if you're a guy like Ron DeSantis and you say, you know what? I can see a path. I can afford to run. I can for president. I can afford my I can afford to win for president. You know, that, and by the way, it's a big one. If you win for president, your life has changed dramatically. So is your life, your family, your wife, your kids. But, you know, anyway, I think he said he could do that. Then can I win? I can see a path. I can see a path to win. And after all that said and done, it takes a special dose of courage And a lot of times the people that have that courage are accused of being narcissistic or egomaniacs or whatever. But, you know, that's a fine line because in order to go and do what Ron DeSantis did and go through that, it's a singular burden like nothing in history. And the burden lands on the person. True. But it also lands and it lands sort of unevenly on your family. And so my first thing I want to say is congratulations for Ron DeSantis for being a courageous, courageous guy, a, a, amazingly courageous to do what he did. And I don't think people should under. And by the way, I'll say that about anybody else, too. I'll say it about the guy, Dean Phillips, that's running as a Democrat, D- uh, Joe Biden and his family. I mean, you still have to step up and be willing you know, to fail, step up and willing to be mocked, step up and willing to be attacked. It's not normal. And by that, I mean, it's extraordinary. Say it better. It's not ordinary. It's extraordinary. And so, you know, congratulations. Wow. To Ron DeSantis. And maybe more importantly, you know what the late Phyllis Schlafly used to say, she ran for Congress twice. She ran for Congress when she was a very young woman. Uh, I think before she had any children, she was married, uh, but she didn't have any children yet. And then she ran again when she was, I think, about 40. And uh, both times she lost. And she used to say about that, that, um, that that running for office and losing, running a really good campaign, a full campaign, you know, not just losing, but running a good campaign and learning how it works. She said, you'll never understand how elected officials and politicians work better than after you've run for office, because you understand the motivations of the need to raise money. You understand the motivations of the need to to uh, think through your positions. You understand the motivations and the impact of of uh, of the burdens put on people and the attacks. And so Ron DeSantis is a far wiser 46 year old, 45 year old today than he was six months ago. I'm not sure that feels good to him. You know, I think he'd rather have won. But it's pretty, pretty darn extraordinary. And it's a sign of good things in our future in America that guys like that are in the mix.
that are serious people that have accomplishments and have the willingness to step up and do that. So congratulations to, uh, to him. And, uh, and going forward now, you have to say to yourself, what's coming next? And 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 I think, look, Ron DeSantis's endorsement of uh, Donald Trump made it pretty qu- clear pretty quickly. It's going to be over in terms of the primary. I don't think anybody really thinks. And I, and I hate to say this I, I, because I'm a, I'm a supporter of uh, of the policies and the future of, of, of Trump of a Trump presidency. I think that's a very positive thing. But I will say that the system that generates these candidates is a pretty, pretty rotten system. And Donald Trump is the only one in about I don't know, two generations, maybe more since Reagan. But Reagan had to fight through it three times, four times, almost three times. He ran. He, ran, he put his toe in the water in 68. He put his toe in the water. He's going to think about it in 72, 76 and 80. He ran. I mean, so he he had to run three times to try to navigate the system. But the modern system has really happened after he was there in which you have these primaries and these delegates and a system that is really designed to have the candidates need somewhere around one hundred and fifty million dollars to compete. Unless you're Trump, when you have name ID that's worth something close to that, which is what happened in 2016 and happened is happening now. Nikki Haley doesn't have that kind of money. She just doesn't have that money. She can't raise it fast enough. She's not succeeding fast enough to be able to be a true competitor where you have to go past South Carolina and then go into Super Tuesday and spend in 10, 12 states, spend money on TV, spend money. And again, I'm not saying it's a good system, by the way. I'm saying it's a bad system. I'm saying it's a racket. The racket is set up in such a way that people are stuck trying to compete in that system. That's just the way it is. But that, but again, that's just the way it is. Uh, you can you can wish it was different, but that's the um, that is the way it is. So uh, there you have it. Anyway, I, I want to make sure to encourage people to uh, to congratulate Ron DeSantis and others and others. Lots of candidates are running for office. I'm thinking of like Derek Evans. He's running as a con- for Congress out in West Virginia against the incumbent Republican. That's a tough race. That's a tough race. I'm optimistic that he can do it. I'm he's a really impressive guy. Arrested for January 6th, total fraud, you know, total, total mistreatment. But it's really hard. And the fact that he's doing it is really impressive. And my point to you is find somebody who's running and make sure, especially after they lose, that you not only praise them and thank them, but you don't forget them. That's one of my things about doing this now is that Ron DeSantis deserves to be thanked, congratulated. You should say, wow. And then you should remember because he's earned that. He's earned the uh, he's earned. Forget about all these people that say, oh, this campaign or that campaign was this, you know, wasn't good, was good. Forget about all that. He did it. He got in there and did it. It makes a big difference. It makes a difference. And last point, I think Ron DeSantis's run will go down as a key factor in strengthening Trump. Meaning you had to have if you hadn't had a real race with a guy that raised a couple hundred million dollars, you would not have been able to actually say, "Okay, is Trump ready for this? Can Trump do this? Do the voters really want Trump? And the fact that he had to go through this with DeSantis is what gives him, I think, a better claim, a better argument and a better future in terms of the uh, in terms of the uh, uh, general election. I really believe I think that's right. I think that's the uh, I think that's the reality of that situation. And I think it'll make a big difference. So thank you to uh, Ron DeSantis. All right, we got to take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our old friend Todd Benzman, he's been traveling the world, literally. Of course, he's a, a prolific author and posts over at the Center for Immigration Studies, where he's the Senior National Security Fellow. Uh, he has written a couple of books that have been now widely acclaimed, one about national security in the border and uh, more specifically in the last few months about the border and uh, the Biden policies at the border. Uh, welcome back, Todd Benzman. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So, Todd Benzman, um, if you you've been overseas and I'm looking right now at one of your pieces on Poland. And first of all, how does a place, a nation like Poland, how do the people understand the question of immigration in contrast to America? Well, it's very different in Poland because their mass migration crisis of two years ago that caused them to build a wall and have policies that alienated them from the rest of the EU was caused by a weaponization of migration by Belarus and Russia next door where they purposefully uh, opened the spigot uh, and brought in thousands of uh, Middle Eastern migrants and then pushed them over basically um, and caused that. And Poland built a wall uh, and has pushback policies to uh, back that wall. Uh, that's their guard is against the weaponized weaponization by Belarus and, and Russia over their support for Ukraine right now. That's really what the issue is for them. Very different than the U.S. context, which is uh, just, um, you know, we've invited in economic migrants in their millions uh, on purpose. Uh, and we're talking with Todd Benson. By the way, he's got a piece over at the National Interest, uh, nationalinterest.org. I'll post it over there. And uh, you can always go to his website, toddbensman.com, and check out all of his writings there and link uh, through to uh, his stuff. Uh, Todd, is the Polish – so they, they don't really have a crisis now because they built a wall, right? There's not a there's not a lot of debate. They've got a wall and, and you know, with very little exception, you're not getting through that. Right. But here's the problem. Uh, and, and, you know, this is kind of the point of my my um, piece in the national interest, which is that Poland just had an election and they voted in a liberal uh, government, coalition government and a liberal uh, prime minister has taken uh, authority uh, from from what had been a conservative to the right government. Uh, this new government. Uh, all during the campaign, campaigned on the right of asylum seekers to be treated uh, humanely and to be allowed into the EU to um, stay pending the duration of their asylum adjudication, you know, their cases. That is very, very different. That is a complete flip-flop. The question is, uh, if they decide to stop the pushback policies and and, and usher in this new thing, um, will they then invite Russia and Belarus to inflict another mass migration crisis on them? Uh, there's there's early indications, I point out in the piece, that Belarus, Lukashenko, and Putin are already on this. Uh, they reopened an air route from Istanbul, which is kind of where 
you know, millions of uh, refugees and migrants are to Minsk, which is hmm. 40 miles from the from the Polish border. Those routes have been closed down for two years since the first crisis. Now, all of a sudden, they're allowing um, these flights back to Minsk. And Minsk, I should point out, is not a big tourist attraction for Syrian refugees so, <laughs> yeah. uh, or Afghan uh, Afghani migrants. So, uh, you know, clearly something is, the, is up. Something's coming to a head here, and it'll be interesting to see if the new Polish liberal prime minister uh, bites on this and bumbles into another mass migration, not understanding that the pushbacks are the whole key to preventing one. I would talk with Tucker on the record saying, I don't want to do push. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's, he doesn't want that. That's right. Uh, and we're talking about Don, Donald Tusk, uh, the new prime minister in Poland. We're talking with Todd Benzman, his books, by the way, America's covert border war is his first book on national security questions and overrun overrun is the recent one. You've probably seen some coverage of uh, Todd Benzman has been across to Europe now. And uh, last couple of months, you might've seen his um, uh, coverage there for everywhere from Poland and Hungary through uh, all the way through Macedonia and Greece. Um, but uh, Todd, Back closer to home, I know you're constantly reporting on it and in touch. What's the status down on the border? I mean, I guess I hate to say it for these years that we've had you on. It's like a correspondent from the border. Nothing changes except it gets worse. And that's still true, right? Well, actually, there's been a tremendous change at the border. Uh, Most of your listeners probably are familiar last. Your last impression was. We were having 13, 14,000 a day apprehensions, you know, the, the biggest and the latest, most record smashing number. Right. Uh, you know, in October, November, December, uh, we all have the images and seared in our minds of just all these thousands of people sitting down there waiting to be processed into the country, which all of them were. Um, but uh, those were politically. Um, unfavorable optics for the Biden campaign. Uh, So he went to Mexico and cut some kind of a deal, the details of which are still publicly unknown with Mexico's president, Obrador. And so before December was out, Mexican military was all along their northern border with us, rounding up thousands and thousands of migrants that were planning to cross and putting them on buses and airplanes and shipping them all the way down to Guatemala, to the border with Guatemala and trapping them there behind roadblocks. They are still doing those operations, clearing out all the northern border cities so that those 14,000 a day are now down to 5,000 and 4,000 a day. Um, Thanks to this kind of diplomacy, Um, the Mexican government also has begun finally after three years um, policing the freight train system down there where, um, you know, hundreds of thousands of immigrants were able to get free rides all the way to anywhere they wanted on our northern border. It was literally the spigot to quickly get from the south to the north. Well, now the Mexicans have shut it all down, hmm. They're policing all the, the cargo uh, freight yards. Uh, depots. I've been on your show before talking about right. this, the Lavistia right. trains and how how the Mexicans were just letting anybody get on who wanted to get on, but that's no longer the case. They've shut that down. 
put roadblocks from Tapachula in the south all the way to the north, and they have really slowed things down as part of this deal that looks like it's all about political optics for the Biden campaign because they were polling terribly on right. this. Um, I believe I'm I'm the only one who has written about this uh, in the U.S. You can you can find my piece on it in the New York Post from a few days ago, and also at cis.org under my name, Center for Immigration Studies. My uh, longer uh, reportage is there, and it's all based on Mexican media reporting, not not any U.S. media reporting. I would add. Do, do we know? Do we what? Do we know when or if that will become public? The the, the details. I don't think they're ever going to tell us. Um, huh. They're going to just say. I mean, one thing. One thing that we know is, you know, Obrador is asking for twenty four billion dollars in right. aid for root causes uh, for for Mexico and also Central American countries. And interestingly, about Central American countries is Honduras just deployed its military to break first time in years. Uh, that's no coincidence either. Huh. So somehow the administration has those governments down there on board to uh, close halfway close the spigot. So it doesn't look so bad hmm. on news video drone footage. Wow. Wow. Well, as much as I think your great work overseas has been helpful, I think we need to get back here and get down to the border and figure out what's going on. Uh, Todd Todd Benzman, as always, uh, thank you for coming on with us. I know you're busy and on the move. Uh, We will uh, we'll have to take a break ourselves and we will put I'll put all that up on social media. Todd Benzman dot com is his best website, but also Center for Immigration uh, CIS dot org. There's a lot of his writings there. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. It's been way too long. We just exchanged Happy New Year greetings. My friend Ted Malik, who has been a frequent guest on the program. It's been too long since he's been on. He's been busy, I suppose. You can go to tedmalik.me, tedmalik.me. Check out all his writings and all. One of the books that he's written, of his many books, is called is named Davos, Aspen, and Yale, My Life Behind the Elite Curtain as a Global Sherpa. So welcome back, Ted. How are you? Um, well, Ed, I know that it's uh, Davos week. Yes. So therefore, I'm, I'm getting calls. People want to know <laughs> what really goes on in that inner circle, in that uh, sanctum up high in the uh, Bernie's, uh, in the overland of Switzerland. Yeah. The uh, well, and so let me ask you first. Somebody put on social media that uh, all of the escort services in Davos are booked solid. I don't know how many there were, but or are. Um, but is it that kind of party? I mean, is is Berlin was Berlusconi uh, back in the day? You know, with, with it, or, I mean, wherever there's gathered a bunch of people, there's going to be some of that. But is Davos known for that? Wow, you're really starting out with the heavy stuff. <laughs> yeah, well. uh, it it is indeed. They have uh, a long reputation for having the world's finest. In fact, uh, I can attest that uh, Klaus Schwab picks them himself Mm. and 
at least when I was uh, on the executive board, just as some time decades ago, they had Swiss Air stewardesses among them. Uh, we're talking with Ted Malik and uh, Ted, is it so? But uh, on the other hand, there's a lot, a lot of wealth. Is there a lot of decision making going on, too? I mean, for, for those of us that, again, we're talking with Ted Malik and his book has uh, uh, been around about seven or eight years uh, called Davos, uh, Aspen and Yale, My Life Behind the Elite Curtain as a Global Sherpa. Are, are there really deals going on? Is there really decision making? What, what's Oh, what's, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's all about uh, whining and dining and thought leadership and concocting the next world order. I mean, just go to their website. The World Economic Forum is underway. Uh, I think Zelensky is speaking today, so it's going to yeah, be a very important day, bailing out the Ukraine and getting all that reconstruction going. I mean, obviously, he's lost now, so he's going to have to play a new tune. I mean, even the Europeans seem tired of him, uh, let alone the Republicans. But, um, yeah, no, the the theme this year is all about, get this, rebuilding trust. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it is it's well, I don't want to sound cynical Ed, but <laughs> I, you can get the drift of my uh yeah my voice. Yeah, uh, it is. Uh, it's There's a it's, new barometer that they've come out with. Uh, they've just launched it, which is going to measure trust. And, uh, you know, according to this barometer, which has been made for them by McKinsey. Oh, my I mean, God. Brilliant folks at McKinsey. So there couldn't be anything more conspiratorial. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, all those, you know, I, I think this year's other major theme is uh, we should be welcoming to the Chinese. <laughs> well, uh, we're talking with Ted Malik again, uh, the author and businessman. He's uh, tedmalik.me is his website. He's got lots of writings over the last few years and then books for many years. Um, Ted is um, they hate Trump, right? I mean, they wake up today and they're like, holy cow, wait, we oh, thought oh. we thought we thought America was going to get smart. And, and, and Iowa suddenly picks Trump. I mean, I guess they just don't understand America, obviously, because they they, thought- they have never understood America. They are the most anti-American globalists on the entire universe. Hmm. So, yeah, they, they detest Trump. And, uh, you know, of course, I was representing him for a period of time. They fear him greatly. And, and and they must be wondering now. I mean, they're all politicians with some distance. If you're if you're if you're in Europe, you're looking over and you're saying, huh, here comes Trump energy abound. And there goes Biden stumbling around. Right. I mean, the contrast, if you were Is that poetry, it sounded like you were I, I think, writing poetry. I think it was. I think it was America first verse. I'm going to do a book. Let's do a book, Ted. America first verse with Ted, Ted Malik and Ed Martin. Uh, <laughs> but I'm going to go back and listen. It might have been my first po- second poem. I'll someday I'll read cow poetry by Ed Martin to you, but go ahead. But back to my point. Why? Well, I, I, I think, you know, Biden is, is absent from his own job. He doesn't even have time to go to Davos. I did hear, uh, it's more than a rumor that Tony Blinken is going to be there uh, for a day and a half. Can't spare much more time because he's got so much on his hands, having started what three wars in this administration. Uh, and it's a very small delegation from the United States this year. John mm-hmm. Kerry, of course, is swan song on his private plane trying to save the planet. You know, the same old, same old. And all the, you know, same old, same old CEOs, Bill Gates amongst them. There will be a very strong contingent this year on transhumanism, though. Really? 
Oh, yeah, that's that's the subterfuge at Davos. It's all about the transhuman. Transhumans. Wow. Um, or, and that, yeah, it's got to be at least uh, Elon Musk or, or something. But all right, before I lose you, Ted Malik, um, you watch those Iowa results. You're seeing what's going on in the Republican primary. You've you've watched a couple dozen uh, election cycles, if I can say. Um, what uh, what's your sense right now? Where do you think we are? What happens next? God bless those white conservative <laughs> evangelicals in Iowa. We are the people. Um, I think it's all over. I've been saying it for months. Why are we wasting time, energy, and shooting at each other? Just get on with it and go to the the national and get behind our man who should be president again. The uh, well, and and now again, you've observed these things for for decades. Will it happen? Is that what will happen? I mean, do you I, again? I, you know, some years. Oh, no, ago. no. The media, the media. I mean, even this morning, I was listening to you know MSNBC. I do listen to these folks. They're saying, "Oh, he didn't really win," <laughs> or they're right. saying, "Oh, it was a lower turnout," or "Oh, Haley did so spectacularly; she really deserved to debate with him." It's over, folks. Bring on Joe, and we'll put him down next. Is uh, is we're talking with Ted Malik again? Ted, is it is it Joe uh, Biden, or do they replace him at some point? Well, it is desperate, but they they haven't uh, you know made the moves that they need to. Uh, I mean, some people think it's Michelle at the convention, but God bless him. I don't think that's in the cards. Yeah, no, I don't think so either. I don't think so either. All right. What can we watch? Back to my Davos. I'm looking back at my notes. Again, we're talking with Ted Malik. TedMalik.me is his website, his book uh, on this topic, Davos, Aspen, and well, Yale, my life behind yeah, the Ely Curtain. What what do you what would you watch as you're watching the news come out of Davos? And and, and when you see it, you say, what well, really is going go on? You can go to their website. You can go uh-huh. to their website and see the real thing. Because some people, when they see it, cannot believe it. It's a cabal of globalists trying to insert their will on the world. So, I mean, watch it firsthand. There is a a novel I would bring to your attention. It just came out this year called Death and Davos, and it's pretty close to reality. Uh, Death and Davos, who's the author? It's a woman journalist that I've never heard of, but she clearly has some inside information. Wow, is it is it, and it's uh, it's fiction, huh? That's exciting. That's I that's a good one. That's a good topic. You could have written that one. That could have been your. I uh, could have written that in my sleep. Yeah, exactly. Uh, death and Davos. Death in Davos. Oh, death in Davos. Oh, even oh, better. Yeah. Even better. All right. Well, I will go uh, track it down. Uh, Ted, uh, last question. European Union. They're going to have European elections in yes. the spring. Um, and they've had this surging of 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 uh, I would call them conservative parties. They call them right wing or whatever. Um, oh, no, far right wing extremists. Oh, right, far right wing parties. And, and and what's what what's likely to happen now in the in the in in in, uh, in Europe? What do you see, sense, and know about what's coming? In almost every country, these are the ascendant parties. They're popular sovereignists. They have a great deal in common with Trump, and uh, I would say they would, in many cases, uh, either win the elections or have very very sizable minorities. I mean, in the case of the Netherlands, you have a. Uh, you know, an election that took place recently and um, the farmers and the People's Party will form the new government. Does that how dramatically does it affect the EU? I mean, are we looking at another Brexit type thing? Is there another country that could step away? Jeez, I got in trouble for saying this the last time I said it. Every country in Europe should have a referendum whether or not they want to stay in the European Union. Now, this is coming from someone 
who has the very high title of persona non grata from <laughs> the Soviet Union. I meant the European Union. Right. Uh, that's right. Officially. By the way, I found the book Death in Davos. Dexter meets Gossip Girl meets Kill Bill. A teen serial killer gets herself invited to the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. I just want you to know, J.D. Sandom, the author, if I find out that that's Ted Malik someday, I will not be surprised. I know how this goes, Ted. Uh, Ted Malik, thank you as always. TedMalik.me and uh, his book I'll put a link to on his experience as a global Sherpa. Uh, and we'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro. America Report back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Late last year, polls about the 2024 general election have sent Democrats scurrying on red alert, searching for a way to replace President Joe Biden in the upcoming election. Much of the angst by Democrats over Biden is due to how well Donald Trump has survived the onslaught of politically motivated prosecutions. None of federal prosecutor Jack Smith's attacks on Donald Trump have seemed to work, while many of them have backfired. The federal judge in Florida's Mar-a-Lago documents case rebuked Biden's henchmen for wasting her time with their antics, and she suspended the schedule in that case. It's widely expected now that a trial in that ill-advised prosecution will not occur before the 2024 election, which removes it as an obstacle to Trump's re-election. This left the federal prosecution of Trump in the anti-Trump venue of D.C. as Joe Biden's last remaining card to play against his opponent. But that case, which was supposed to be smooth sailing for the Trump haters, seems to have hit rocky waters, too. Special Prosecutor Jack Smith demanded and obtained a severely improper gag order to prohibit Trump from disparaging Biden's hired guns. Trump echoed the views of many and called Jack Smith deranged and a thug who then persuaded the Obama appointed judge to censor Trump despite strong objections from, of all people, the ACLU because this was an infringement on the First Amendment. But the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals eventually suspended the gag order, thereby enabling Trump to speak freely again. Trump's attorneys filed a compelling motion to toss the entire case out based on the presidential immunity that protects Trump against allegations concerning actions he took on January 6th, 2021, when he was still president. The liberal smear campaigns against former President Trump seem to have bounced off of him. The Democrats' lawfare agenda only puts more eyes on Trump, portraying him as a victim unjustly targeted by politically motivated lawsuits. It seems now that since the Democrats have not been able to tear Trump down, that they've turned their sights instead to replacing Joe Biden as their nominee. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Whether it's the vision of our founding fathers, the courage of our veterans, the moral compass of Christopher Columbus, or the fortitude of presidents like Lincoln and Reagan, the truth of history should not be undercut by liberal ideology. At Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, we honor history even as we look to the future. Join us at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. 
Uh, we have some work to do here to wrap up uh, uh, the program uh, talking about Roe v. Wade. Okay, now this is very important, and I'm going to put this up as a post on uh, ProAmericaReport.com with a probably a little bit uh, broader explanation. Here we go. It's the anniversary of Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton uh, from 1972. And every January, January 22nd, there has been a March for Life. And the March for Life continues. And there's around the March for Life, there are lots of really great pro-life groups and pro-life conferences. But of course, in June of, ni- of 2022, uh, Dobbs, the Dobbs decision came down and Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton are gone. They're dead. They were terrible decisions. They made up the law and good riddance. And they were they were used to allow lots of uh, of a, a right to kill. But here's where it gets interesting. First of all, the pro-life community, people that care about stopping abortion and helping to respect life. We got a lot of work to do because you're trying to figure out what happens when you don't have the big bad wolf, you know, the boogeyman Roe v. Wade. And you got a lot of work to do to build the coalitions and build the groups and to foster the culture of life. And that's a big challenge. Um, but this week, this week, there are gatherings. Lots of thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in Washington, D.C., also in states. There'll be state marches and commemorations and all and focusing on the focus for life. Well, 10 days ago, as I've talked about on this program, the deputy campaign manager for uh, Joe Biden went on Meet the Press and he was asked, OK, your boss just kicked off uh, his reelection campaign. He gave a speech. It was a, a dark speech, a hateful speech. I think it was very unimpressive. Uh, but the but uh, Kristen Welker on Meet the Press said to this campaign manager of Joe Biden, what is the day one priorities of Joe Biden? in his second term as president. And she said it two different ways. You know, what is what is the priorities you're going to have it on, on day one? What is it you care about? And the campaign manager said, Joe Biden said, well, the number one campaign manager, a, a campaign, well, the number one thing we're going to do, Joe Biden's committed to, is restore Roe, restore Roe. Now, he went on to say, by the way, the other two priorities were uh, gun, gun, uh, a fight to limit gun rights, um, and and address gun rights and, and limit them. And then the last one was uh, insulin. Insulin is too expensive. And those were the three examples. Now, pausing for a moment and understanding how insane it is that Joe Biden as a politician is not even trying to run on what is the, the usual lie from Joe Biden and other people, Democrats, as well as some Republicans, is we're worried about the middle class. We're worried about American jobs. We'll stand up to China. He didn't even bother. It's restore Roe. It's gun rights, which is for suburban moms. That's a, that's an issue that suburban moms get excited about. And the last one is insulin. Insulin is predominantly an African-American problem. And frankly, it's an Afri- African-American mom problem because they're worried about their kids. So you have a guy that's caring about what? Abortion rights. That's young women uh, and, and gun and, and limiting gun rights. That's suburban women. And then living and looking for cheaper insulin. That's black women. Uh, Joe Biden is the last Democrat male that will ever be president. The party is now a party that relies completely, well, say it differently, it relies on women. It is a woman's party, women's issues, women's focus, women's attitude, women's anger. And it has some men that vote for it, mostly, I think, broken dudes. But I mean, we'll, we'll talk about that another time. But back to my point here, this is what I want, what you need to know and what I want to focus on for a minute is when someone says their number one priority is restoring Roe, what does that mean? Well, Roe v. Wade was a right to abortion that was based in a privacy right. 
And so what does it mean to restore Roe? Do you mean the privacy right? We have a better indication. Nancy Pelosi, after Dobbs, the Dobbs decision came down, she filed her restore Roe bill. And the bill, which if it had become law, would have not only restored Roe, created a federal privacy right to abortion, which would it wouldn't be constitutional. But the Constitution is now silent on whether you have a right to an abortion or a right to life. But what was happening before was Roe Ro v. Wade was saying you have a constitutional right to abortion and no one can limit it. Now they've got that out of the way. And what Nancy Pelosi is saying is, hey, let's let's put into law federal law that says you can never limit abortion. It has to be accessible. And then Nancy Pelosi, not me, Nancy Pelosi, her restore row movement, her restore row law would also get rid of all of the things that limit the promotion of abortion, using tax dollars, the, the supporting of all these. All these things would go out of the way. Hyde Amendment would be gone. Uh, the, any of the kind of uh, conscience objections that you say, I don't want to participate, all be gone. They would all be overridden by the row, this restoring row law that Nancy Pelosi wants to pass. Now, I just told you at the beginning, Joe Biden's number one priority, women for abortion rights, women for limited guns rights, and and also women for insulin. Now, here's one more detail. Always, 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 what have I taught you? What do I talk about? Follow the money. Follow the money. When you follow the money, restoring Roe is a hundreds, hundreds of millions of dollars every year directly to Planned Parenthood. So now think about what the Democrat Party has done. They've given up on working unions, people that actually work, and they what are they what are they about? They're about leftist women and the teachers union. So how do you how do you what do you do with money? How do you get money to these Planned Parenthood? Planned Parenthood is the left's vehicle using federal tax dollars and state tax dollars and everything else tax benefits to fund the campaigns for the people to get in office. And I just point again to the suburban pro-life Democrat, a liberal in almost every way, Daniel Lipinski, who was primaried, primaried in a Democrat primary by an AOC-backed, Pelosi-backed pro-abortion candidate because he wouldn't change his position on abortion. That's the state of the Democrat Party. So Joe Biden, on the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, with all these hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people in America celebrating and marching and trying to promote the culture of life, he says, let's restore Roe. Because I'm the party, I'm beholden to the leftist women, and we've got to get the money to them. What a disaster. All right, that's it. we got to run. Pro-America Report, Ed Martin. Thank you, Ryan Hyde, Mason Mohan. Thank you for tuning in. Go to ProAmericaReport.com to see more, and uh, we'll catch up soon. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.